This is Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, a podcast series designed to help medical students and residents strategically navigate the process of applying for residency in emergency medicine or to EM-sponsored fellowship programs. I'm your host, Mike Gisandi from Stanford University. Let's get started. Welcome to Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by your friends at Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, and its editor-in-chief, my friend and collaborator, Dr. Michelle Lin from UCSF. Hello, Michelle. Hello, hello. I'm excited for this panel today. I am too. Today's episode is a special one, our annual review of the most recent match, entitled EM Program Directors Reflect on the 2022 Match. Was it a competitive year? Did it get easier for students? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. And speaking of staying tuned until the end, Michelle, we will close today's episode with a big announcement, but it can wait until after our three outstanding program directors, I know, I know, offer their sage advice and reflections on this year's match. With us today are Dr. Abra Fant from Northwestern University. Hi, Abby. Hi, happy to be here. Dr. Sarah Krasaniak from Stanford University. Hello, thanks so much for having me. And Dr. Bonnie Kaplan from Denver Health. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, excited to be here with everyone. Thanks to all of you for joining us. So Michelle, every year we offer a quick review of the match statistics, and I'll refer the audience to the show notes for this episode on alium.com that summarize all of the key statistics we're going to talk about. It's our annual summary of the match data from emergency medicine over the last 10 years, and it's sourced from the National Residency Matching Program data and results tables. It has 10 columns, audience. So bear with me. We're going to run through all the columns because I want you to get a good sense of what this data really represents. So column one is the year 2022. That was easy. Column two is the number of ACGME-approved programs that offered entry-level spots. This number has been rising and rising, and once again, it increased. This year, by four new programs to 277 total. It went up by 18 and 17 the last two years before, though, so it's a little bit of a slower rise this year, but still up. Column three is a new column uh, that I added because this data was not important until match year 2022. It's the number of EM residency programs that were unfilled at the start of the SOAP. I added the column to the slide this year to begin tracking this data point because all of a sudden it's relevant for the first time in decades. Emergency medicine had very few programs with empty spots available in the SOAP in the past, but it was always such a low number that we didn't bother tracking it. We only completely filled all of our spots once, just once. However, this year, the number of unfilled programs was 69, a whopping number. Column four is the number of positions offered by these programs, 2,921, again, an increase by 81 new positions, primarily at new programs that came online and then previously accredited ones that expanded in size. Column five is the number of positions that were filled in the match, 2,702. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Column six is the number of positions filled by LCME seniors. So senior medical students from allopathic medical schools in the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada. And that number was 1,593. Column seven, then, is the percentage of positions filled by these same LCME seniors, which was 54.5%. Once again, a big drop from last year, which was 62.1. We initially observed a steady decline in the percent fill rate by LCME seniors since the single accreditation program, or the conversion of the osteopathic accredited programs to ACGME accredited programs. As the number of programs spiked, but the corresponding number of LCME students did not, the overall LCME percentage rate dropped. And that was okay because everyone's LCME fill rate dropped across all specialties as all of the specialties absorbed osteopathic residency programs into the ACGME accrediting system. But this is the marker of competitiveness. And it's the one we focus on in the show all the time. It's not that a program fill rate matters. EM fills almost every spot annually. 
It's the percent fill rate by the LCME that matters. Highly competitive specialties such as plastic surgery, thoracics, vascular surgery, they fill mostly with LCME seniors, with past fill rates approaching 100%. Competitive specialties such as OB, 73.6%, and general surgery, 65.3%, previously had fill rates in the upper 70s and 80s, and they dropped along with EM because of single accreditation over the last several years. However, they've since plateaued, and EM continues to drop. This is very concerning. And the big drop this year is what we'll be talking about throughout the episode. For comparison, the less competitive specialties such as internal medicine, 37.3%, PEDS, 56.5%, tend to fill in that sort of 30 to 50 range with LCME seniors. And now emergency medicine is right there with them. To close it out, column eight is the number of unfilled positions in the match, 219, up from 14 just last year, signaling something bad happened. Column nine is the number of unmatched LCME seniors, so students only applying to EM. It's usually under 100. This year, it was 102. And column 10 is the number of independent applicants who don't match. And when you look at the data on alien.com, we reported for the last nine years to include non-LCME seniors, so DOs, IMGs, non-senior allopaths, generally taken together, always under 200. But at the time of this recording, we don't have the complete data for this calculation. So we're just using the number of unmatched DO students in the table, which is 97. So there's a lot to unpack here. And let's turn to our amazing panel for their sage wisdom to do just that. Let's get started with our first panelist, Dr. Abra Fant. Dr. Fant, your goal is to give us a big picture view of what happened in the 2022 match. What kind of year was it for emergency medicine? You can just start with more competitive, less competitive, or stay the same? Yeah, it was It was a very surprising year for us in emergency medicine, I think. It was definitely a less competitive year by the number. We looked, as you just said, at the fill rates, which have not been as great as they have in the past, uh, particularly from the allopathic seniors. But what was really interesting is that even before we got to match week and certifying rank lists, the number of applicants was actually down quite a bit across the season by over 600, about 650 or so. And I think that that reflects a general shift in medical students' desire to go into emergency medicine. I think there's a lot of reasons for this. You know, we have been frontline providers front and center during the last two years of the pandemic. And I think that students have seen that. I think having had a lot of their rotations sort of curtailed by the pandemic has not allowed them to firsthand experience emergency medicine, which is really where a lot of people fall in love with the specialty. And there has been very publicized concerns about what the prospects are for folks that are going to be graduating residency in three, four, five years. No one wants to dedicate time to a residency to graduate to be told that there is no job for them. So I think all those things together really created a perfect storm that really drove people kind of away from emergency medicine this year, which led to fewer applicants, which was then compounded by the fact that our fill rates were under compared to where we have been previously. So did you answer my question? Was it more competitive, less competitive, or did it stay the same? It's less competitive. There we go. All right. I, I did that for emphasis because if the audience has listened to this episode year over year for many years... And year over year, the match data just continues to eke a little south. It's getting a little worse each year. But, you know, our fill rate has always been 100% essentially. So, you know, there was nothing to panic. It was okay that the number of seniors from our medical schools weren't entering EM as much as they were the year before. That, that was okay. And the panelists every year said, stay the same, even though the numbers creeped a little bit. But this year, the numbers obviously went off the cliff. 
So is it the data that's telling you that this perfect storm occurred or is it your frontline experience during the season as well that you could tell something was off? It's a little bit of both. The data certainly helps because it's not anecdote, uh, makes us feel that we're justified that the things that we were sort of noticing throughout the season sort of play out. I will say that in the individual interview process, I didn't feel it. Uh, We were meeting wonderful applicants. I had enough people to fill my class many, many times over that I would have been thrilled to match. But when you look at even just our numbers specifically at Northwestern, we definitely had a drop off in the number of applicants from really all categories, both U.S. seniors, DOs and international students. So I do think that our personal experience has now played out sort of nationally, but it feels more abrupt now that we can see the national numbers. Yeah. You know, I wonder if we recorded this episode at the beginning of March before we had the actual data, could we have predicted what would have happened and how how accurate would we have been? It's all hindsight now, but it's an interesting question to think, were all of the signs there all along? And we we were just not prepared for what happened on, on the match. You know, after answering that question as thoughtfully as you did, does it matter at all? if it was less competitive this year? Why does that matter at all? I think in some ways it doesn't matter because it's like trying to compare emergency medicine to any other specialty, right? We're just very different. And so people who are rotating through and they decide emergency medicine is for them, it really shouldn't matter how competitive the specialty is from a match perspective. The problem is, I think that most medical schools are raising their students up to really believe in benchmarking and competition, and they want their numbers to look good. They want their students to match into programs that have good names and highly ranked and all of these things. So it's it's really hard to break that habit for the students to say, this isn't about my name brand medical school or my Ivy League college. This is really about where do I fit in terms of specialty and program. So I think in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't reflect much on our specialty as a whole. But I do worry that it will chase more competitive applicants away from the specialty because they're being told things like, don't waste yourself on emergency medicine, go into Durham, go into ortho, you're so smart, look at your board scores, when really it shouldn't be about that at all. It should be about what the student thinks and and where they fit in. Yeah, you know, I started recording this episode with Michelle many years ago. And, you know, at the time we first came up with the idea for for the show, um, we thought that it would be one of those answers of more competitive. Every year it would get more competitive. The numbers would get tighter and tighter. And we would cause so much anxiety to the medical students. This year, I never predicted we'd have an episode that we would say less competitive. And here we are. And I don't know if that's going to be more reassuring, perhaps, to some medical students who might have been on the bubble and, and chose to go a different path at EM just because they were concerned they might not match. This is perhaps a, you know an opportunity for them. All right. You did a great job answering my question. Thank you so much. I do have one more, and that's advice for the, the medical students in this upcoming match. What um, advice do you have based on these observations you had through this last experience uh, in 2022 with the, the match data trends that we've been talking about? Yeah. So two pieces of advice. The first one is what I would have said last year or the year before. So it's not really changed based on this, but don't over apply and extend yourself. Hopefully, if nothing else, this data reassures people that there are spots available in emergency medicine. And so you don't have to really go crazy in terms of the numbers of applications and the amount of money you're spending trying to get through to all of these things. That will then allow you to do my number two piece of advice, which is really get to know the program when you go and you interview, whether it's virtually or in person, since that's still a little bit up in the air for this season. 
you want to make sure that it fits your values. You want to make sure that you fit in with the people there. And when you're doing that with 25 programs, it's really, really hard to do. If you can focus in on 10 or 15, you can really start to understand what are the differentiating factors of those programs. And that's really what's going to give you the most successful match and the happiest resident. All right. Awesome. Let's turn to our next panelist, Dr. Sarah Krasaniak from Stanford. Dr. Krasaniak, I thought maybe we would begin allowing you to riff a little bit on what you just heard from Dr. Fant about this year's uh, match experience. What thoughts do you have? Any points of disagreement, for instance, if we want to have some show controversy? What were your thoughts about 2022? No, no, no. I'm smart enough to know not to disagree with Abra. So, you know, I, I agree. I will say it's funny. We also saw a drop in our applicants. And I think at the time we thought this is great because people are being more mindful and deliberate about where they're applying to. And, you know, because we'd, we'd seen just this huge uptick in applications. And so, yeah, it is really interesting that now that we can look back on all of this data, we know, oh, maybe that wasn't necessarily that applicants were being more deliberate about it, but just a reflection of the overall applicants in general to emergency medicine. And, you know, I will say in response to what Abra said about the competitive applicant, I share the concern, right, that someone will be told you're a competitive applicant, you know, you can do better than emergency medicine. That being said, I I struggle with still, like, what is the competitive applicant? As we move to pass-fail USMLE, you know, more and more schools are moving away from honors in clerkships. And those that keep honors, I feel like there's been a dilution in what it means to have honors in clerkships. Uh, There are schools where 70% of their students get honors on their clerkships, and it's really hard to know what to do with it. And I think this is also reflective of that shift that so many programs are making towards that holistic review, which, you know, I think has a little bit of a catchphrase to it. But truly, programs are looking at so many things beyond metrics in terms of what would make them competitive. So I think it is hard just off of a quick glance to necessarily know who is a competitive applicant. Many schools aren't ranking their own students anymore either. That used to be a metric, you know, you're in the top quartile of your class, you know, you can do better than that. But again, many schools have moved away even from ranking students. So it is, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in this next match year. Well, that's the perfect segue because I want to talk about the next match year. Put 2022 behind us. So pull out your crystal ball and tell us what's going to be different this year in the 2023 match process. Well, I think there's still a lot to be determined um, to answer that question. Last year, we had recommendations from COPA on a lot of different parts of the interview and application season, and they are not updating those guidelines this year. And they're really leaving it to different specialties or institutions to set parameters. In emergency medicine, we're still waiting to hear the guidelines from CORD. I anticipate that will happen probably shortly after the SAM board meeting. So in May, I suspect we'll hear their guidelines in terms of whether interviews should be virtual or hybrid or in-person. We already have recommendations from CORD about rotations. So they're still recommending one home and one away unless there's an extenuating circumstance. But I do think that we are going to see some more variability this year, especially, you know, if we can keep our current COVID infection rates as they are, we're not battling the, the real public health threat of people traveling. I do think we're going to see 
a wide variability in what programs are doing for interview season. You know, CORD surveyed their whole membership to get a sense of what programs need. As, as we are all very aware, there's, you know, programs are very different in terms of what they need and how they feel like they can be most successful. So I think it's going to be hard to find a one-size-fits-all model for this. Ultimately, I if I had to put my money down, I anticipate there's going to be an easing of the guidelines to allow programs to offer in-person opportunities. You know, the question is whether programs will use this to go fully in-person for interviews, whether they'll offer some in-person interviews, whether it'll be all virtual interviews with in-person second looks. I think all of these options have been talked about. You know, and really the discussions around equity bias and finances are still the same. Um, you know, even if COVID restrictions don't mandate that we need to do this, I think there are a lot of other factors that go into should people be traveling across the country. I think, you know, even climate issues, right? What's what's the carbon impact of having all of these students fly across the country for, you know, a four-hour interview? So all of these, I think, are ongoing discussions. You know, one of the big things that will change this year is the addition of the preference signaling. Um, which will be a big change for emergency medicine. We've had some other specialties use this in years past, but now this year, emergency medicine as a specialty is going to be offering signal preferencing to, to students and to applicants. I think every program is talking about how you know, they will best be able to use this and, and how we will implement this. So that will be a change both for programs. Well, pull the curtain back a little bit and tell us about Stanford. What what will you be doing different at Stanford? This is the students want to know. Give us some secrets. I am a rule follower. So I will, I'll wait to see what all of the guidelines come out as, but anticipating an option for a hybrid approach. We plan to stay all virtual for our interviews, but I would really like to be able to offer some in-person second looks for interested applicants. You know, the big question is really, how do you do this in a way that doesn't erase the equity strides that we made through virtual interviews? And how do we offer an opportunity that feels low stakes for a student that, you know, they feel like if they want to come, they can, if they don't want to come or they, they know Stanford or they got a great feel of our program during, during the season, you know, how, how can they decline that opportunity and not feel like it's going to impact their rank list position? You know, there are some, a lot of discussions about how to do this, some discussions about staggering rank list certification timelines for applicants and programs, which is a whole discussion in and of itself. I think there's a, some pros and cons to that approach. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it's only fair to be able to offer applicants the opportunity to come and see a program. You know, it made me really sad because we had some students and even some of our matched applicants, when I called them on match day, they're like, you know, I came to visit a few months ago and it was, you know, great to see the campus. And it made me sad that I wasn't able to connect with those people when they were on campus. But our institution was really clear that anything that involves an interface between the program and a student was considered an in-person or program-sponsored activity, and, and we weren't allowed to do it. So, But it made me sad that someone would, would make the effort to come to our campus to see the area, um, and then we weren't able to connect with them while they, while they were here and had made that effort. So that's big news. So even if the guidelines go away, Stanford will still continue virtual interviewing, at least to this next match cycle. So that's big news. Maybe we can ask our other two panels just very quickly, whether you're going to follow suit or you're going to go back to in-person. So we'll start with Dr. Fant and then Dr. Kaplan. We are really waiting to see what the court recommendation is going to be. Our sponsoring institution has said that we should follow whatever our national program director and specialty guidelines are. 
So we are we're still in that planning process. I am with Sarah. I think that there were a lot of really good strides uh, made around equity uh, in terms of the virtual interviews. But I also really do think it's unfair to expect people to spend four years in Chicago if they've never been there. I was really worried the first time we did virtual interviews so far. Uh, no one has died in the Chicago cold, uh, which is excellent. But I, I do think that there there needs to be some opportunity for people to be able to have some physical contact with the, the city that they're going to be committing to living in for, in our case, four years. Dr. Kaplan? We're in the same boat as Abra. We are waiting on the guidelines um, and our school medicine is really waiting for us to hear that guidelines from our specialty. We really struggle with the equity piece as well. And specifically about second looks to make, as Sarah said, it a low stakes opportunity. I think in an ideal world, we would love for us as program directors, I'll speak just for us, to submit our list and then have a little lag time for the applicants to go visit if they can and, and want to and then they can submit their list. Um, But that's unfortunately not up to us. But that to me would help with that low stakes option and give people that felt like they needed that extra information, that time and ability to do that. Very similar sentiment. I'm curious if you guys had to put your coin down, Abra and Bonnie, would you offer in-person interviews given the opportunity? I can go first. My guess is no. I think we'll probably from the equity standpoint, stay with a virtual if I had to put my money down. You're going to make me put my money down on this. I think from an equity standpoint, if people have to travel, we would not do it. At the same time, I think that they get the best experience being in person. So we would probably try to rethink how our virtual day goes to better replicate what the in-person day has been. We have gone previously with the let's be respectful of everyone's time and try to cram everything together so that they don't have to disrupt the rest of their day and do a lot of asynchronous things in terms of videos and all of that. But I, I do think that that misses out on a lot of the spirit that's just really hard to capture. Why did Dr. Krasiniak ask that question so much better and more effectively than I did? It was the exact same question. You're really good at asking these questions, Dr. Nack. I, I'm going to take note of that. Let's close your section out, though, with some final advice. Any points in the process to emphasize or even new advice that you might offer to students for the 2023 match? Yeah, so slightly unrelated to the match process itself, but you know, there will be a new standard letter of evaluation coming out, or I should say a modified, maybe heavily modified standardized letter of evaluation that's going to be coming out. I think as programs lose a lot of the metrics that we've previously had in evaluating applicants, knowing what is on the slow, knowing how you are being evaluated on your rotations will be really important. Because I think, you know, we know from past research that's, that's been done that emergency medicine programs really put a lot of value on how someone does on their slow. I think there's been recognition that perhaps programs complete these differently and do things differently. So there's been an effort to streamline how they're being completed. We are, I believe, still waiting for the final version of this to drop. So I think this will be something important for students to be aware of as well. This year, more than ever, perhaps the importance of mentorship. So finding someone that can guide you through the process, help you navigate how different programs are are doing things, especially if there's flexibility in the approach that programs can take to interviewing And, you know, if there are in-person second looks, how to navigate those decisions, because ultimately, you know, it's been easy this year or the last two years for students to apply broadly across the country, 
sometimes even interviewing at two programs a day, because when it's virtual, you just hop on from one to the other, and you likely won't be able to get to every second look or make every in-person interview that's offered to you. So there will be a strategy to planning which ones you go to and, and how you decide which ones are most important. And I think, you know, to the point that Abra made earlier, again, is, is this plea from the program directors to still apply to programs and choose to interview at programs that you're truly interested in. The interview shouldn't be your opportunity to check a program out. You should check a program out before the interview day, look at their website, look at their social media, talk to other students and residents and alum, and then really use the interview to help put the cherry on top and and really get to know the people. But really that decision to interview at a program um, should be done after you know everything that there is to know about them. Okay, well, thanks so much, Dr. Krasaniak. Now we're going to turn to our final panelist, Dr. Bonnie Kaplan from Denver Health. Dr. Kaplan, let's give you the opportunity also to to riff on your other panelists' comments. What what were your thoughts on the 2022 match? I'm joined here by such amazing panelists. I don't have much to add or to offer from that. I do want to emphasize one thing that I thought was so well said, and that was about what makes a competitive applicant for emergency medicine how do we determine it? And what does that really look like? I think that's even more true now. And to me, that makes me really excited for the future of emergency medicine. I think we are looking holistically and we're ahead of the curve on that uh, applicants in a really great way so that we can better take care of the patients that we serve. And so I just want to make sure that more competitive versus less competitive is really reframed to some degree for us to think about, let's make sure we are getting the right applicants into our specialty who are going to really impact us as a specialty and then also help better take care of. That's the only thing I have to add. All right. Well, let's talk about the 2023 match then. What what general advice do you have for students as they look to 2023? What Just take away the special nature of the COVID season and, and things. What, what would you have them prepare? So probably not much has changed, but I'm going to end, put some more emphasis on some of those things that have been spoken about before. Mentorship is going to be critical. Mentorship is always critical. And this is probably more than it has been in a really long time. And that's because I believe that the programs out there are really different now. Um, a long time ago in emergency medicine, you know, you sort of clumped programs together and you said, they're all great. They're all pretty similar. They're all pretty standard. Same thing in each place. And I really think the beauty of emergency medicine is, is that breadth and depth has really deepened and broadened, which is awesome. So we can attract more individuals into our specialty. And that also means that choices are harder. So you have to, as a student, be really honest with yourself about how you learn. You have to be really honest about with yourself about what you want to do when you're done. You have to have great mentorship to really help you parse through those things to make sure that they're better and you make the right choice for you. So I would say a mentorship, mentorship, mentorship. If you don't have a mentor now, get one. And it doesn't have to be at your place, right? You can reach out to any of us on this panel. You can reach out to other program directors or in education. We love this specialty. That's why we do what we do. And we want to make sure the right people come into our to our specialties to make. I would say that the, the other things that I tell people all the time are get your application in early. Please do not wait. Get it in at that first opportunity. Make sure it's complete. Make sure that your letter writers are well prepped ahead of time. Send them your CV. Send them reminders. Um, make sure that's in. I think that even more so than years past, you want to make sure that you've done step two um, in a timely fashion. So most programs have your step two. Not all of us care about step two, to be honest, but there are enough programs, I think, that do. So make sure that you have that done in a timely fashion as well. Do your homework. I think doing your homework on a program is essential. A lot of us spend a fair amount of time on our websites. 
a fair amount of time on our social media. We talk about our mission. We talk about our values and, and vision for a reason. So do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. As I think it was Sarah who said, your interview shouldn't be you're exploring the program for the first time. You should vet the program a lot of times ahead of time. Reach out to residents. Um, most of us is in residencies um, on our website. We have contacts for our residents. You have your alums from your various medical schools. Reach out to them. Ask them questions. Ask them hard questions um, so that you can better vet uh, where you're going, what that looks like. And then on interview day, remember every part of your reaching out and every part of your interview is an interview. Every single interaction. So remember to put on um, your best professionalism hat and remember that we in emergency medicine value teamwork. And that means that every single person on our team is equally important to us and they all deserve the utmost respect. And remember each interaction is part of your interview and remember to keep that in focus. So that's definitely sage advice for the students. And, and as you said, probably not much has changed, but there are things to emphasize. And I like that. But my final question for you is going to be what should change? If not much is changing, what what should we do differently? What should students do differently or programs or medical schools? If you could change the world right now, Dr. Kaplan, how, how should it change? I'm going to start with medical schools. I really think that us as a community should advocate more for emergency medicine to be part of our core curriculum in medical schools. I'm very lucky here at University of Colorado, that is the case. And we have a huge presence in our medical school. And we see that impact year after year. And other program directors see that impact year after year because so many of our uh, medical students go into emergency medicine and are um, involved around. So I think from a medical school perspective, there are many reasons for it from an educational value perspective. And I think from a program for us to recognize people that could be interested and great in our profession early and then cultivate that and mentorship. I think from a program perspective, I think it's important for us as program directors and those in education to get out there and interact with um, medical students early. Um, I think setting them up for success, being really honest about uh, what's out there, what the opportunities in emergency medicine look like, um, and the fact that recruiting to this specialty and what we can do in this specialty, the sky is the limit. You're a young specialty, right? People on this talk know this. We're still a young specialty. We're innovative. We're creative. We're hungry. Yes, I'm totally quoting Hamilton right now, but I think that that really makes sense. And that really speaks to a lot of people coming into medicine right now who can make a community, social leadership impact on our country and also our our patients. And I think we need to go out there and uh, beat the drum a little bit uh, to let people know about what we're all about and why really amazing uh, medical students still consider emerging. I think from a student perspective, just like my colleague said, I think that uh, you don't need to apply everywhere. I think you can be selective and that's really awesome. You can only go to places um, and really think about places that are going to set you up for success and therefore set the program um, and the specialty up for success. So I think being selective, doing your homework at a time are key aspects. For- hey, Mike, can I interrupt for just a brief moment here? All of these topics, I think, sound familiar to in terms of a standard interview season, you know, there's the application, there's interviews virtual or in person, there's the rank list, there's about getting mentorship for making your rank list. But the part that kind of jumped out at me, I think Sarah actually mentioned it, which was something called signal preferencing hasn't really been much talked about in emergency medicine, or at least in all of our previous episodes in the past eight years. But I would love to hear a little bit more about it. I don't know if you know the details yet because it's still so early, but uh, Sarah, if you want to start off and then see if anyone else wants to weigh in. 
Definitely. So this year, emergency medicine will have an opt-in program for programs and students, meaning that programs can decide to participate and students can decide to participate. Although there is 100% participation encouraged by CORD for programs to be a part of this. And what it is, is that each applicant will be given five tokens or signals that they can essentially send virtually to programs in an effort to signal their interest in that particular program. The idea is that students can use this to indicate to a program that they have a particular interest in that program. And then programs are supposed to use this only for making interview invite decisions. And so as we decide as programs, which students we want to invite to interview with us, we can use that as one piece of information that goes into this huge pile of of metrics and achievements and accomplishments and other things that we look at to determine who ultimately gets invited. One piece of that can be the signal um, sent by the student. There is a code of conduct that programs have to agree to, you know, if you opt into doing this. And one of those is that you will not use this in rank decisions. And so you can't, you aren't supposed to use this ultimately after the interview process to determine where someone ends on their rank. You also can't discuss this with other programs. I can't call up Bonnie and tell her who signaled to us. So there's a little bit of a code of silence around it just within your own program about who knows which applicants have signaled and then how you use it. I will say, I know we are planning to opt into this program. Um, I think to be determined, um, you know, how we use it in the specialty. I don't know, Abra and Bonnie, are you guys planning to opt in? Yes, we are planning to opt in as well. Um, Yes, we are also opting in. I think just for all of the EM interested listeners out there, it's important to let you know that this is the only component of the three secondary applications that EM is using. So if your friends in internal medicine or general surgery are talking about secondary application essays or geographic preference signaling, that is not for you. It's not going to happen in emergency medicine. The only thing that we're doing are these tokens. So hopefully everyone is wiping their brows in relief. They don't have to write a whole other personal statement for every program that they're applying to. All this is just the signal. This is all about equity as well. I, I think that there's a really noble intent behind this, that the idea is really to say, hey, we don't have a lot to differentiate these competitive applicants anymore, instead of just going by school name and inviting all of the people from, you know, Harvard to come and interview at my program, it's going to give folks a chance who may be from, you know, less well-named schools who have a very real interest in the program to be able to get an invitation to be interviewed at that program. So ideally, that's the way it's going to work out. Um, There was a trial run for this with a few of the other larger uh, pool specialties last year that seemed to have gone well. It will be interesting to see in our slightly smaller applicant pool how this pans out. I'll just add two other things to that. To Abra's point, we all want smart, accomplished, driven residents 
But we also really want residents who want to be at our program. And I think, you know, hopefully this this signal will be a way to not only find those really smart, competitive applicants, but also to find those people who really want to be at our given programs. The other really important part of this is that because it is opt-in for students, we as on the program side won't know if you as a student did not opt in. So all we know is who signals and who doesn't signal, but we don't know if you as a student have just elected to not be part of this program and therefore just aren't signaling to anyone. There've been some initial discussions about, you know, what should students do for this, whether this would put someone at a disadvantage. And I don't see there being a lot of cons, honestly, for students to do this. I think it makes sense for for students to be part of this program, but it might be worth mentioning on your personal statement if you're not participating in this and you're not sending any signals, uh, just to put a one line in your personal statement saying that uh, you're not participating in the program and you won't be sending signals. I don't know, Abra or Bonnie, if you have thought about how you'll be mentoring students on this topic, or if you would say the same. I totally would say the same. I think that the feeling at Cord when we were all there, I think all of us were nodding our heads is make sure to let us know if you didn't signal um, and make sure it's really obvious in your personal statement, like Sarah said, or some other way, because otherwise we won't know. and We don't want anyone to be able to just. Well, that was a very rich episode of Yeah, Match Advice. So thank you to all three of our panelists for um, such thoughtfulness and the time it took to prepare that. But we get to say thank you in a very special way, and that's with a free commercial for your program. I know the students know all about your three programs, but this is your chance to tell me something that I don't know about your program. And for two of you on the panel, that's going to be particularly difficult today. So I'm going to start with Dr. Fant. Tell me something I don't know about Northwestern University. All right. Something you don't know. So we actually, all of the residents and fellows at Northwestern over the past couple of years have had a really exciting opportunity to pursue an MBA during their training through the Kellogg School of Business. It is a truncated program, so it's a little bit cheaper and a little bit shorter than if you were doing it otherwise on your own and has been just enormously well-received. We now have I believe six emergency medicine residents who have either completed their MBA or are finishing it up this year uh, over the course of the last three years that it's been offered. So if you are a business type and you love emergency medicine, please consider checking us out. All the info is on our website. And students, Northwestern University is lucky to have Dr. Fant. They're lucky to have a lot of the great resources they have there. I may have hung out there for 14 years and think highly of the program. So definitely check out Northwestern University. Dr. Krasaniak, I work down the hall from you, so this is going to be a really fun question to ask. Tell me something I don't know about Stanford University. Yeah, this is a really challenging one. As as our vice chair of education, you hopefully know everything about our program, and I feel like this is probably not the correct venue for me to like drop any residency related bombs. Um, Excellent. On you. This was a test. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, you know, you may or may not be aware that we, so we have some of the most elective time of any program in the country. And we have currently six residents who are international. So we have three who are in Nepal right now doing high altitude research. We have one that is currently in Rwanda. She was awarded a scholarship through Stanford and is in Rwanda doing a global health project. And then we have one who is going to Namibia next week as part of the Race for the Planet series, which one of our faculty is medical directors for, is the medical director for the Race for the Planet ultra racing 
series. And so our residents get to partake and help with a variety of different research projects around caring for endurance athletes. And I guess that's five. So I need to work on my math, but five residents currently who are abroad and doing very cool things. All right, students, Stanford University has a very special place in my heart. Uh, for many reasons, not the least of which is they're my employer right now. So, you know, I, I think it's a great place. I'm very biased, but I do hope you check out Stanford University. And Dr. Kaplan, take us home with something I don't know about Denver Health. Um, awesome. Well, those are some amazing things. I will echo those from those opportunities of those other two places. I think something about Denver Health is a very much a mission-driven place and mission-driven residency. We're also very I always say resident feedback forward. And so our current chiefs uh, right now uh, put together this community outreach um, experience for our residents. Um, And so each resident group has a family and they're going out to various community outreach places, including harm reduction sites and more to really get involved in the community. They're also doing a lot of mentorship with high school students um, and other students in our emergency department and to really get back into the community, have that really cool lens and then bring it back into the emergency department. So we're really excited about some of these in the broader terms, social AM initiatives that we've been really striving for this year. And I can't take any credit. These are my incredible residents who have come up with these opportunities um, and ideas to make it happen. And I'm very jealous that I don't get to be involved in every single one of community outreach. Well, that's just great stuff that adds to a long and storied history at Denver Health. So students, you already know it's a great program. Check out Denver Health for the 2023 match. So with that, we would normally close our episode, but I did say that we have a special announcement. And that announcement is that this is my last episode of EM Match Advice. So Michelle and I, I know we concocted this crazy show in 2014 in the Dallas SAM meeting. And that was in May of 2014. And a couple months later, we had our first three episodes in the hopper. And I believe Denver Health was on the very first episode, actually. And, you know, it's grown over eight years, right, Michelle? We do about four or five episodes a year. It's not, you know, every month, but we we have uh, all the major topics covered for students, I believe, at this point. And, and it's really r- rich archives that you have on alien.com. So I'm very proud of the work we did. And Michelle, you've been just such a lovely person to collaborate with and so easygoing and welcoming of all my dumb ideas for the show and for why we should have it. So I'm very grateful to you for all of the the friendship that you've had with me over these last several years. No, Mike, this is so heartbreaking. I'm still in denial. I was like, nope, we're just going to keep going. This is episode number 37. It's a lucky number. It's a prime number. So this is, if you're going to end on one, this is a good one. And I remember that meeting. I think it was over coffee. You swear it was over beer or wine or something, but I'm pretty sure it was coffee. And you came up with these grand world domination plans. I'm like, I don't know, Mike. Are you sure? And look at this. Lo and behold, I have so many thousands of students, residents, and faculty now who still come up to me and goes, you know, that Jasandi, he's wonderful. And they know you from this podcast. So on behalf of us, on behalf of all of the people you've mentored, thank you, thank you for being such a gracious host and so knowledgeable in the landscape of the EM match advice journey. So gosh, that's really such an accomplishment. Kudos to you. Well, thank you. You know, this is a, a project that's been near and dear to our hearts for a while. And I feel like it's time to move on just because I don't know the ins and outs of the application season anymore, not being a program director. I'm just enough years removed that COVID and COPA guidelines and all these things are, are just different enough that the show deserves a new host. So I decided I would pick one during our episode today because she asked such a good question. Dr. Krasaniak, I think I'm going to tap you to be the new host of EM Match Advice. How does that sound? 
It sounds like I've got some really big shoes to fill, but yeah, I'm excited for the opportunity. Um, I love working with Michelle. I remember even as a student and resident in emergency medicine, Michelle was just this like dominating figure in emergency medicine. So it's an honor to work with her and definitely an honor to step into your role, Mike. I know that you've done a ton of work on this and I know it's your baby. So I promise I won't let you down. I don't think you would. I can think of no one that would do any better job than you, sir. So I'm just really thrilled to, to have you taking it over. And uh, with that, I'm going to sign off for the last time. So thanks students for listening over all these years and yeah, good luck in the match. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emergency Medicine Match Advice. You can view any of our episodes for free on Allium's YouTube channel. Also, check out summaries of our episodes as blog posts on Allium.com and in the publication A User's Guide to the Allium EM Match Advice series in the June 2017 issue of the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. We love to hear from our listeners. Post your questions or comments for any of our episodes on Allium.com. Thanks for joining us.